Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you? Well, if you don't know, my name is Demontre. I actually see a couple new faces this morning, so let me introduce myself. I am one of the pastoral residents, or some people say interns here. Here, I'm here in the body for a year. But today, we're gonna, we will continue our journey with Hebrews. We will be coming from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. Sam, I actually commend you for all the past these verses that you read when you read the whole chapter, because like this is a lot. Uh, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fiery fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who sets aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled under the foot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he has been sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with struggles, with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your pro property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This morning, I would like to talk about um, examine your heart. Examine your heart. When I hear the word examine, I think about evaluating something or looking at something closely. I think we all can say that we have evaluated some things in our lives or examined some things in our lives very closely. It could be something like a friendship. Can I trust this person to be in my inner circle? It could be examining who your kids are around. Are they exemplifying the, the influence that you desire your kids to have. It could be examining a church. Are they preaching the gospel? Are the people friendly? It could be examining something weird like examining fruits. I'm that person in the grocery store touching all the fruits to see whether or not they're hard because I don't like soft fruit. It took me a long time to eat fruit in a pie or a cobbler. Now I said it was weird, but I think also if we have turned on the TV this week, or we jumped on social media, I think we all examined whether or not Will Smith's action was justified or Chris Rock, did he take it too far? But nevertheless, or however, I think it's safe to say that we all examine some things in our life or we examine some things in this world very closely. But how often do we examine our spiritual lives? How often do we sit down and self-reflect, does my life represent Christ? Paul tells us in Romans, 12, 1 through 2, 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Peter also tells us in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So have we taken the time to examine our lives or this morning in our context, have we taken the time to examine our heart? Jesus tells us that it's not what goes into the mouth of a man that defiles a man, it's what comes out of the mouth of a man that defiles him. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I think our writer this morning is encouraging us to examine our, examine our hearts by evaluating our lives, by remembering when Christ saved us, and by longing for the promise. So let's look at verse 26 and 27. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversary. The first thing I'd like for us to look at is examine our hearts by evaluating our lives. Examining our hearts by evaluating our lives. We live in a society where people think that they can confess Christ and live any kind of way. As Sam said last week, and he echoed over the previous week, there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation, and the price has been paid on the cross. That is true, but it does not nullify our obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments. So being obedient to God is an act of worship. Now, we read countless of scriptures that tell us how we should live for God. But somehow we manage to justify our sinful behavior. One justification that irks my soul is God knows my heart. Now, that's a true statement. He does. But we only see what the heart produces by our actions. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Yes, he knows our heart and we will give an account for our sinful ways. This verse is talking about deliberately sinning. In ways, we all deliberately sin because we choose to sin. But he's talking about people who are intentionally living in unrepentant sin or the people that confess to be of Christ and a part of us, but they are not with us. So what are some examples of this? I'm glad you asked this morning. <laughs> we see professing Christians deliberately practicing sexual sin, Christians that gossip about everything and everyone, Christians that are constantly living in drunkenness, men that are not leading their families in the Lord, Christians deliberately neglecting meeting together, professing Christians not using their gifts and talents to edify the body of Christ, Christians not constantly, Christian constantly living out unrighteous anger, Christians not being obedient in baptism, and the list goes on. I know we have some kids in the room and some teenagers, but when we look at the last part of verse 26, it says, after receiving the knowledge of truth. True. Anytime we sit under the word of God, anytime we read the word, we are receiving the knowledge of truth. So kids, in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Kids, are you intentionally disobeying and dishonoring your parents? Are you intentionally doing wrongful things when your parents are not looking? So I think I addressed everybody in the room this morning. So let's take a moment to examine our hearts by evaluating our lives. 
So I got two questions. Are there any unrepentant sin we are deliberately living in this morning? Are there any unrepentant sin that we are deliberately living in this morning? The second one, have we surrendered our hearts to Christ? Have we truly surrendered our hearts to Christ? So what are we implying when we deliberately sinning and what are the consequences? What are we implying when we are deliberately sinning and what are the consequences? There are four things that we are implying. The first one, in verse 26, it said there no, no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So when we continue on in sin, deliberately sinning, we are saying that what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. When we turn away, when we are sinning, we are turning away from God. We are turning away from the truth. So we are rejecting God. We are, we are rejecting what he did on the cross. So there's no longer a sacrifice remain when we continue on in sin. The second thing in verse 29, trampling underfoot the Son of God. Back in ancient days, when you uh, raise your foot up towards a person, it's like a sign of disrespect. When you step on a person, it is a sign of disrespect. So now when we, when we continue to sin, we pretty much, we are saying that when God sent his son Jesus, it was a worthless act. We are trampling over Jesus every time we sin. So that's the act that we're doing. That's what we are implying. We're trampling on the foot, the son of God. Then we profane the blood of the covenant. We disrespect the blood of the covenant. Jesus left glory. Jesus left perfection with his father and came and died on Calvary. Jesus gave up his life. You know, they thought then that they killed Jesus, but they did not kill our Jesus. Jesus gave up his life. But to make sure that he was dead, they pierced him in the side, and out of his side came water and blood. It is the blood of Jesus that set us free. It is the blood of Jesus that we are bought with a price. It is the blood of Jesus that we are made right with God, and we are seen righteous before God. The songwriter says, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain that I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. It is the blood. There is life in the blood. But when we continue to sin, we are disrespecting the blood of the covenant. The last thing we see is outrage the spirit of grace in verse 29. We insult the spirit of grace. It is by grace that we are saved. It is by grace that we are here today. Paul says in Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It is because of grace that we don't face the penalty of the death penalty of our sin. It is because of grace that we have eternal life. It is because of grace that our eyes are open to the truth and we are able to respond to our Father. It is because of grace that we are able to sit here and identify as a believer. It is because of grace that he calls us his sons and his daughters. It is because of grace. And when we continue on to sin, we are insulting the spirit of grace. John Piper said it this way in one of his sermons. The love of God doesn't give us up to the wrath of God, but makes an escape from the wrath of God by sacrificing the Son of God. The love of God doesn't give us up to the wrath of God, but makes an escape from the wrath of God by sacrificing the Son of God. I would like to tweak it just a little bit. The grace of God doesn't give us up to the wrath of God because he sacrificed the Son of God. Amen. 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 So here's the consequences. We have three consequences. In verse 27, judgment. We'll face judgment when we continue on in sin. In sin. We'll face punishment, and we will face the vengeance of the Lord. So a couple weeks ago, I shared with a couple people here in Bible study, I think. I shared about this guy. I saw this commercial on YouTube, and this dude was an atheist, and he was raising funds for an organization to keep the church separate from the state. 
state. And um, one of the things that he said at the end of his sermon, he said, I'm not afraid of going to hell. Clearly, he believes there's a hell because he said he's not afraid of going there. But he has no idea of what he's saying. I think we all remember or we can recall the story of Lazarus and the rich man. When they both died, the angel took Lazarus to Abraham's bosom. The rich man lifted up his eyes in hell. But hell was such a torment for him that he begged Abraham to let Lazarus dip his finger into water to cool his tongue. And Abraham said no. And then he begged for him to send Lazarus to his people, to his family, to warn him, to not, warn them not to end up where he's at. And Abraham said no. So church, it's a serious, serious thing. We do not want to face the punishment of God. We do not want to face the vengeance of God. It says that it's a, um, we do not want to end up in the hands of the living God. So we need to repent this morning. We find ourselves in unrepentant sin, or we find ourselves confessing to be believers, but we haven't truly surrendered our hearts to Christ. We need to repent this morning because we do not want to face the punishment of Jesus. Real quick, let's look at the last part of verse 29. Who has trampled under the foot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and outraged the spirit of grace. As I stated before, this is referring to the people that claim to be believers and a warning to the believers that are abusing grace. When we read the letters in the church, they wrote these letters to the church addressing the church, the visible church. So in the visible church, we have the elect, and we have those that profess to be believers, the apostates. And the apostates are those that came into the body, they came down here and confessed Christ, but they never surrendered their heart to Christ. They cleaned up on the outside, they did modified behavior, but they never surrendered their heart where and allowed God to do, allow God to clean them from inside out. So let's look at John 6, 60 through 66. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is hard saying. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciple was grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you That is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are the spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who, is, who it was would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. As after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Here we, he referred to everyone he was talking to as his disciple in verse 60. And in verse 66, but in verse 64, Jesus said, but there are some that don't believe. And Jesus also knew who didn't believe. Jesus referred to them as his disciple because they were among those, among the other disciples following him, and they were the visible church. But back to verse 60, they said it was hard teaching. Anytime we rebel against God, we are saying the same thing. We are saying this is hard teaching. We all know the story of Judas. Nowhere do we read that Judas didn't come back, that Judas didn't perform the signs and wonders of the other disciples when they came back from the missionary journey. But Jesus referred to him as the son of destruction in John 17. Also, let's look at 1 John chapter 2, 18 through 21. Children, 
It is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. If we read in the Bible that everyone that followed Jesus or claimed to be a disciple of Christ never believed, do we think it's any different today? I guarantee, I probably shouldn't say guarantee, but um, I'm pretty sure some people here this morning joined the body and they're taking communion with us, they have confessed Christ, they are cleaned up the outside, and they never really surrendered to Christ this morning. They never done it. So it's no different from what we see in the Bible. There are people saying they are of Christ and they're not. So if we are the believers and you examine your heart and notice that there is unrepentant sin present, repent and reconcile with God. If you are that person that claims to be a believer, but after examining your heart, you acknowledge that you haven't surrendered your heart to Christ, I am begging you this morning to open up your eyes and ears to the truth of God and surrender to him. So I encourage you this morning by examining your heart, to examine your heart by evaluating your life. Let's look at verses 32 through 39. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plunder of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their soul. The second thing I would like for us to look at is examine our hearts by remembering when Christ saved us and by longing for the promise. Examine our hearts by remembering when Christ saved us, saved us, and longing for the promise. Here we read the writer saying, remember all the things you have endured when you were enlightened. Remember how you suffered joyfully because you were wanting, because you were waiting for a better reward. We aren't sure what the, who's the actual church you're talking to, but we can go back and read countless of stories in the New Testament of what the church faced, the persecution they faced when they first became believers. Now, I believe America has become a foreign land, and I don't think America has, and we are starting to face little persecution, some struggles, but I don't think we have experienced anything the first church experienced. But now, that's my opinion, but I do believe that we all have sacrificed and struggled for the gospel. The writer encouraged them to remember when they were enlightened. Can you remember when you first enlightened? Can you remember the boldness of being unashamed when you first became a believer? Do you remember being judged or talked about because you wanted to live differently than those around you? Do you remember being sold out for Christ that all you desired was to be at church and be on mission for God? Do you remember giving sacrificially because you desired to see the church do ministry in the community and around the world? Do you remember separating yourself from the things that would cause you to revert back to your old self? Do you remember coming to church and church wasn't something that you just check off your to-do list? 
Do you remember coming to church excited because you were living out the scripture? Psalms 122, I was glad when they said unto me, come let us go into the house of the Lord. Psalm 100, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts be praised. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endure forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Church, I was that person that the text speaks about in verses 26 to 31. I responded to the general call at the age of eight or nine, and I was baptized, but I came up a wet devil. Now, I grew up in church. I had a head knowledge of Christ, but I didn't have a heart knowledge of Christ. I did not surrender my heart to Christ until I was 14. But before, at an early age, I was smoking cigarettes, and it wasn't just cigarettes. I was smoking other stuff, too. At an early, before I was 14, I was struggling with sexual sin. Be, I was disobedient to my parents. My mouth was ridiculous. Um, and I was drinking at an early age. But if I can take an old saying from when I grew up, I grew up in the South, so there's a lot of old saying that we had growing up. It said, um, but when God got a hold of me, my life forever started to change. All I wanted to do was be at church. All I wanted to do was be sold out for Christ. I literally had the attitude, for God I live and for God I will surely die. So I ask again this morning, do you remember when you, first in, when you were first enlightened or became a believer? Do you remember? I mean, I hope the, this, the pause and stuff is just you thinking and you're remembering this morning. <laughs> Remembering should encourage us to move forward in faith. Remembering should help us understand that the sacrifice, the affliction, the suffering, and the hard struggles, and we should, re and we should be motivated that it wasn't in vain. The, then the text says, therefore, because we are examining our hearts by evaluating our lives, and by remembering when God saved us, it should spur us to long for the promise. He said, don't throw away your confidence, and we live by faith. Church, we have confidence and faith that Jesus is returning. Yes, it may seem like it's taking forever, or the things of this world becoming hard to bear, but have endurance. Some of our translations say have patience. I know it's hard to live in obedience or patiently wait for the promise because everywhere we turn, sin is presence. And the, and the things in this world makes it seem hard to, impossible to endure. If we are longing for the promise, we will not shrink back. If we are walking in step with the spirit, we cannot shrink back. Shrink back here is the same as earlier when it referred to those that were sanctified. The ones that claim to profess to be Christian but never surrender their hearts to Christ are the ones that will shrink back. If, but if we are true believers, the Bible says we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. His true follower will live by faith, and if we are living by faith, we will be longing for the promise that awaits us. Paul tells us in Philippians 3, 13 through 16, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This morning, where is your heart? I would like to leave us with one final story to show us, to communicate how important it is for us to not treat the work of the cross as something mundane or unimportant act of sacrifice on our behalf. In the Exodus 32, 25 through 29, and when Moses saw the people, and when, and when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, 
Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus said the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the words of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of, the, and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. Israel sinned against God by worshiping a golden calf. And we all know we shall not have no other gods before him. We shall worship God and our God alone, the true and living God. Here we see the seriousness of sin and why we shouldn't take what Jesus did on the cross for granted. That day, 3,000 people died because of their sin. God sent Jesus to fulfill the law and take the punishment for our sin. When we go on sinning, it's like we are slapping Jesus in the face. Before Jesus, people had to go to the priest, and the priest had to make sacrifice on their behalf. But Jesus is our high priest, and the curtain has been torn for us to go. The curtain had been torn before us to go boldly before the throne of grace. We all know the seriousness of entering the presence of God in the Old Testament, and today we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Process how we treat God when we habitually sin or live our lives or live our lives the way we choose to live our lives. We live as if the Holy One doesn't live in us. We walk around with something so sacred and precious dwelling in us and we disrespect our Lord daily with, with our actions. Picture someone coming into, you invite someone into your home and they eat up all the food. They leave the dishes everywhere. They don't clean up behind themselves. They talk to you any type of way. They physically attack you. If someone came in your house and did that, you would be outraged, right? You would feel, I mean, right? I mean, okay. <laughs> I believe you would. I would <laughs> feel disrespected. How do you think God feels? How do you think God feels when we have his spirit living in us? And this is not our body. It is his. We are his temple, and we are treating it any type of way. We are doing any and everything. How do you think he feels? Let's look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We are not our own, church. We were bought with a price. Every time we go on sinning, we are deliberately disrespecting God, and God is outraged. Our sins will not go unpunished. We will face the consequences here on earth, or we will face it, or we will face the punishment and judgment. As you examine your heart, are you treating the work of the cross as if it was a waste? Or are you trampling on the foot the sacrifice Jesus did for us on the cross? Church, repent and surrender to God. Jesus is our high priest and our ultimate sacrifice. God imputed his righteousness on us by sacrificing his son Jesus on the cross. When he, when he sees Jesus, he sees us as righteous. The punishment has been taken, and we don't have to live in guilt and shame. Because we have Christ in us, we can overcome sin, we can live by faith, and we can patiently wait for our reward. And that's being with our Savior forever. So this morning, I encourage you, examine your heart. Let us pray. God, I just thank you. I thank you for being a great God. I thank you for being an awesome God. Thank you for being a mighty God. God, I thank you for your word. And God, I just pray that this morning, that as we search our heart, 
as we evaluate our heart, God, that you just bring to surface the things that are not like you, God. But God, as David cried, I created me in a clean heart, God. I just pray right now that you just created us a clean heart, God. I pray now that you just give us a fire and a desire just to worship you with our lives, God. So worship you in our obedience, God. That when people see us, God, that they will see you. So God, I even pray for the ones that are not believers this morning. God, I just pray now that you just bring salvation to them, God. God, reveal to them the seriousness of what they are doing, God. Reveal to them that they do not want to face the judgment, the punishment, God. And God, I just pray now that you just pierce all of our hearts this morning. God, pierce, your, pierce our hearts with your word, God. And God, I just pray that you open up our eyes and our ears to hear you, God. And God, I just thank you right now again. I thank you for what you're doing. I ask this in your name. In Jesus' name I pray.